Uh, let's take our Bibles tonight, turn to 2 Kings chapter 21. 2 Kings chapter 21, please. Uh, if you're here tonight, you know we have a number of folks out traveling, uh, but you're here tonight, and I'm, I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad that you're able to be here tonight, and we pray that God will uh, work here. Uh, I want to thank you all for this uh, very kind birthday card that I found on my desk uh, today. Uh, and for the generous gifts that I have received, that's not necessary, but uh, it's, it's appreciated very much. Appreciate your uh, birthday greetings and the gifts. Thank you, church. Uh, I do appreciate it very much. Uh, 2 Kings 21, uh, let's turn there, please, if you would. 2 Kings chapter 21. So, uh, good evening, Carolyn. We, we come tonight to the account of Manasseh, uh, the account of Manasseh here. Um, it's, uh, it's interesting. Uh, he starts out, Mike, uh, as, a, as a very uh, wicked king. Uh, he rebuilt uh, the high places, the altars to the false uh, gods, the, uh, the idols, uh, and just kind of upped the ante, if you will. I mean, he just upped, he cranked up the wickedness uh, to, to a, a really, I mean, just almost unbelievable uh, level. And if you only read this chapter, uh, you would conclude that he never did anything but that. He, he was just uh, a very wicked king and never uh, came around to the Lord, uh, never bothered to pray, never uh, asked God to work in his life and his heart, never got around to doing anything uh, that would please the Lord. However, that's not the case. Um, if we read the account of Manasseh here in this chapter and then look at the parallel account, I'm going to ask you where you think that might be, uh, we see a parallel account to the portion of his life that we see detailed here. Uh, but then there's more. Uh, the Lord chastens him in a very significant way and causes him to cry out to the Lord, uh, obviously in a very heartfelt way. The Lord hears his prayers uh, answers his prayer and ends his chastening. Uh, and then, having been corrected by the Lord, uh, he gets right, he, he implements reforms, he, he tears down the, the false altars, the, the false idols, and very importantly, as, as king of Judah, he encourages the people to get back to right worship. Now, um, here's the question for you. Uh, what book would you expect to see sort of the second half of that account written in? Think about it for a second. We're, we're in 2 Kings. Uh, what book is it that parallels, largely parallels um, for 2 Kings? What, I'll get it out. Which book is it? Right, 2 Chronicles, right? So 1 Kings, 1 uh, Chronicles uh, roughly parallel 1 2 Kings with 2 Chronicles focusing relatively more on Judah, um, after, after the kingdom divides. And so uh, if I say Second Chronicles focuses relatively more on Judah, you wouldn't be surprised to find some details uh, in Second Chronicles maybe that aren't necessarily given in Second Kings. And so, so that is the case. So uh, it's good to know, it's, it's good to know which of these books kind of parallel each other because if you only read what we find here, again, in Second Kings, You'd kind of be missing, Mike, the second half of the story. You'd be missing the rest of the story. But if you read it and you say, well, I'll bet there's a, a little bit more, or at least a, a passage that parallels this in Second Chronicles, you go and find that and find out, sure enough, there's, there's the rest of the story, which is a lot more encouraging than, than the first part of the story. 
Uh, Brother Gary, I, I hope that when our lives are done, that we'll be able to say, hey, first half of our lives may, maybe didn't go as well as they should have, but the second half pleased the Lord. Uh, and I, sure enough, I, I'd like folks to know that the second half, the rest of the story. So something like that here tonight. Let's pray, and then we'll jump in here, Second Kings chapter 21. Does that sound good? Okay, let's do that. Let's bow our heads, please. Father, thank you. Lord, uh, for who you are. Lord, thank you tonight for being our God. We're not worthy. Lord, thank you uh, tonight for uh, saving us, for sending your only begotten Son to endure all that he did, including the cross and his death upon that cross. Lord, thank you for uh, the resurrection and for the, the privilege we have, a special day to celebrate the resurrection coming up soon. Uh, Lord, thank you for the things that we see here in this passage tonight. Uh, they're a reminder of just how much we need a Savior, Lord, all of us. And so I thank you tonight uh, for a Savior. Lord, thank you tonight for our church. Uh, we're grateful. I pray and thank you for each one who's able to be here tonight. We pray you have uh, your hand upon those who are traveling tonight. We're not able to be here for other reasons. Lord, please have your hand upon them. Uh, give them safe traveling mercies, I pray uh, in Jesus' name. Uh, amen. Where are we? Second Kings chapter 21. Good, you're there. Uh, Manasseh, his, his reign. Second Kings 21 and verse 1. The Bible says Manasseh uh, was 12 years old when he began to reign. Mike, can you imagine? He's just 12 years old, and he's called to be the king of Judah. Well, that's exactly what happened. Uh, he reigned for 55 years. You could do the math. Uh, he, he reigned um, until he was how old? That would make him, what is it? 50, 55 and 12 would be 67, sure. Sounds right. Anyway, he starts out when he's 12 uh, and reigned 50 and 5 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was... Uh, Hefzibah, uh, that is a transliterated Hebrew word, that is the Hebrew brought straight into English, and it, it translates uh, really literally into uh, this phrase, my delight is in her, uh, sounds like something maybe um, a man might say of his wife, uh, a man who delights in his wife, uh, that, but that's just an interesting name. Uh, verse 2, regarding Manasseh, and he did that which was what, church? Evil in the sight of the Lord. Uh, well, how exactly? Well, he did that which is after the abominations of the heathen. So uh, we know that's going to be a reference to false worship. And sure enough, sure enough, as we get into the chapter, we see that. He says, whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. So uh, you recall, of course, before the people came into the land, the land was inhabited by Canaanites uh, who practiced all kinds of terrible idolatry. Uh, in part because the people did not deal with them completely, push them out as uh, deal with them as the Lord had prescribed. They they remained exposed to that idolatry, and Mike began to borrow from it and uh, and practice what they borrowed. We understand that uh, it's it's in large part a consequence for not doing as God had commanded them to do uh, as they came into the land. And and sure enough, you've got kings in both the north and the south who are practicing this, this terrible idolatry that they borrowed largely from, from the people that were there before them. Of course, there, there could be some things that they brought from Egypt as well. They had plenty of opportunity to learn false worship, to learn idolatry. 
Uh, and so, you know, not, not having done the things that they should have been doing, it was easy enough to fall into that false worship. Verse 3, for he built up again the high places which Hezekiah, his father, had destroyed. Remember, Hezekiah was a reformer. Uh, Mike, he tore down some of those false places of worship. He wasn't perfect. Uh, he, he made mistakes. He, he sinned at times, certainly. Uh, but overall, we could say he was a relatively good king who, who implemented a lot of spiritual reforms that would have been pleasing to the Lord. Uh, his son comes in and uh, undoes what dad had done. Zach, I wonder if you have any thoughts on why he might have done that. Uh, Manasseh comes in after Hezekiah and starts building up the uh, restoring the false worship rather than continuing dad's reforms. Could be political, right? Could, could be political. Could just be a, a man's heart not being right with his Lord. There will be all kinds of reasons, right? There will be spiritual reasons, practical reasons. Obviously, there's a spiritual problem in his own heart. Uh, Mike, a man who would, I, I've, I've raised the possibility it could be political in the past, so yes. But a man probably would not take up false worship solely for political reasons. Wes's his heart was pretty far uh, uh, far from uh, where it should have been. But, you know, if, if your heart's not right, you can find all kinds of reasons to do all kinds of things. We understand that. Lord, help us to have right hearts. He built up again, verse 3, the high places which Hezekiah, his father, had destroyed. And he reared up altars uh, for Baal, false god, made a grove false place of worship, as did Ahab, king of Israel, uh, way up in the north, and worship, see this next phrase, please, worship all the host of heaven and serve them. What's that, Rich? Worshiping the host of heaven. Yeah, it's worshiping whatever you could see up in the sky, right? So uh, this might be a, a reference to the, the kind of astrology that you see being practiced even today, but you know, worshiping the creation instead of the creator, uh, this is a natural inclination of, of man's heart to worship the creation uh, or elements of the creation more than the creator. Uh, to look up and not think the Lord is high above, but to look up and see uh, something uh, what? Uh, uh, why, why might there be a natural inclination to look up and, and worship what is up? Any thoughts on that? Any thoughts? How about this? You can see it. You can look up during the day, and, and Mike and I can see the sun. I can look up at night, and, and I love to see the moon. I love to see the full moon. I, I love to look, to look up and see the stars. Um, I love it when, when the planets are in close alignment. You can see the planets very clearly. Uh, but I'm, I, I'm not inclined to worship them. Right? I mean, we, we have the Lord. We don't need to worship anything. But, but people who don't have the Lord or aren't right with the Lord, there's a more natural inclination to worship that which you can see. And something that's high above feels mighty and, and, and high above, and I can see it. So, so why not worship that? It's, it's high above, and, and I can see it. Uh, well, we're not, we're not called to uh, worship the creation or, or anything uh, that we can see today. We're, we're called to walk in faith uh, and, and worship the Lord. But, but never forget, there is a natural inclination uh, to, to fall into false worship of things that we can see. 
this is astrology in his case. Verse 4, he built altars in the house of the Lord. Imagine that. In the temple, uh, he's erecting altars uh, to uh, false gods. He's, he's placing idols in the temple. Mike, I'm going to say his, far, his heart is really far off. He's not anywhere near where he should be. He built altars in the house of the Lord. Why not? That's a place of worship. He understood that, uh, of which the Lord said in Jerusalem, will I put my name? He built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts uh, of the house of the Lord. So uh, having taken up the practice of worship, he's brought it to the place uh, of, of worship. Only in this case, he's uh, brought false worship into the place of right worship. Lord, help us. <laughs> Lord, help us to uh, keep our eyes fixed upon you and you alone, lest we bring any kind of idolatry uh, into your house. Um, this week... Uh, I'm, I'm attending a class up at Bible Baptist Theological Seminary in, in Cromwell. Ryan Strauss is teaching a class. And uh, Mike, he's been teaching about idols of the heart, uh, things that, that we pursue to comfort our own hearts. Uh, being in control would be one, or, or being comfortable would be another one. Uh, desires in our hearts that we, we pursue uh, to comfort us, and anything in our heart that we might uh, self uh, self reliance, um, comfort, um, uh, being in control rather than allowing God to be in control, uh, idols of the heart. We make idols of all sorts of things, uh, including those things which we uh, follow after in our hearts to comfort ourselves when we're not quite right with the Lord and therefore feel discomforted. Lord, help us not to make an idol of anything. Lord, help us to keep our eyes upon you, uh, our comforter. Uh, he built idols for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. And it just gets worse. You, you, you can see here, uh, it gets worse and worse and worse. There's a progression. Uh, he, he made an altar for Baal outside of the temple, back in verse 3, made a grove, uh, no doubt far afield from the temple, worshipped all the host of heaven, no doubt apart from the temple, uh, and then in verse 4 begins to bring idols to those things into the temple. Well, that's, that's a progression from bad to worse. Uh, and then by the time you get to verse 6, it's a progression from bad to worse to even worse. Uh, verse 6, he made his son pass through the fire. Zach, what does that mean? It's it, child sacrifice, sacrificed his very own son by fire. We know historically this, this was a sacrifice to Moloch, a false god. Got to satisfy Moloch, and if, boy, if we don't, things won't go well. Uh, Moloch, we understand, wants us to kill our children, to cause them to pass through fire, uh, to be sacrificed to him. If we do that, things will be okay. That's, uh, that's profound wickedness. Uh, he didn't begin there, though. He, he began with, you know, serious but relatively less serious uh, forms of, of false worship, we, we might argue at least. And he progresses step by step down that road uh, to the point of even being willing to sacrifice his own son uh, to Moloch, a false god. 
Mike, if we're not careful, you know, we, we find ourselves taking little baby steps away from the Lord towards something uh, that, that we, we should not be. People say, oh, no, Pastor, I'd never fall into any kind of false faith, false worship, self-idolatry, none of that stuff. I, I never could, and yet we've seen that. Uh, people allow themselves to be out of church, and so they're, they're not right with the Lord, and they begin to feel discomforted in their spirit as the Holy Spirit convicts. We know the right thing to do at that point would be to confess, I've, I've been out of church, Lord, I've been away from you. Uh, I'll, I'll confess that, I'll repent of that, I'll get back into church, I'll get back to the business of serving you and fellowshipping with other believers and encouraging them and being encouraged. And, uh, being under the teaching and preaching of a church and things get right again. But people don't always uh, pursue that comfort from the Lord. Sometimes they just keep marching further and further away, trying on the things of the world, uh, as, uh, as we see in Ecclesiastes, just trying on one thing after another, trying to, to find a way to be comforted. Um, <laughs> making an idol of just about anything. Uh, most definitely, uh, at least possibly, including ourselves. Uh, this man got so far afield from the Lord that when people said, hey, you sacrificed your son to Malk, he did it. Uh, he did it. He didn't wake up one day and say, I'm going to put off worshiping the Lord and sacrifice my son. No, it was one step after another uh, in the wrong direction. Gary, a man who, find, who finds himself halfway down the road towards sacrificing his son, can he repent, come back to the Lord? Sure enough, he can. <laughs> we have a gracious God. Uh, sure enough, some of the people say, oh no, I've gone, I've gone too far down that road. I know we've, we've talked about this idea recently. Uh, no, there, there is no too far down that road un, until you've drawn your last breath. Uh, we have a gracious and merciful God. We can always repent uh, and return to him. No one has to go this far. So verse 6 again, he made his son pass through the fire uh, and observed times and used enchantments uh, and dealt with familiar spirits and wizards. Uh, he wrought much wickedness indeed uh, in the sight of the Lord. And, and what's the effect of this? God sees this and God is what, Zach, at the end of that verse? He's angry, right, rightfully angered. Uh, by all the sin. Uh, what do you make of familiar spirits? Uh, thoughts on that, Rich? No, but I think it's something I'm going to look into. I'm not sure what that is. Yeah, I assume it's demons. Uh, I, I would assume here that he's um, employing wizards and, or witches and, and, and seeking to be um, in contact with, with spirits. <laughs> Spirit. Do you have another thought? Uh, I believe familiar spirit, well, check that, would you, Zach? Can you look up the underlying word there and, and then come back to me in a minute? But um, I don't remember the, ex the, uh, the sense of the underlying word, but um, we'll, we'll have that in a second. Uh, but no, no doubt the idea here is, is um, seeking uh, encounters with spirits, uh, see, employing wizards, witches to have access to uh, spirits uh, through mediums. Um, obviously, this is wickedness. Uh, we are specifically commanded in numerous places in Scripture uh, not to be involved in these things. You, you only have to look at this first to know that this is, uh, this is uh, it angers the Lord. This is offensive to God. It, it angers him. Um, people participate in seances. People go to uh, fortune tellers. Uh, 
Ouija boards. You know, sometimes the Ouija board really is moving on its own, and in those cases, that's demonic. Uh, sometimes the fortune teller, who's faking most of the time, actually is speaking on behalf of a demon. Uh, most of the time, that stuff's fake. It's still offensive to God. Sometimes it's not fake because the demons step in uh, and, and deliver on the experience that people are looking for. Did you, did you find the word there? Yeah, so the, it's, it's one word that's translated familiar spirits, right? Yes. Yeah, so it, it alludes to, the phrase alludes to invoking the dead. Um, or the idea would be attempting to, it, to um, drum up the dead, the deceased, right? That, that would be the idea. Well, I think that is the idea. I, I think the translators understood that most often people would be seeking contact with deceased relatives, friends or relatives that were familiar to them. Uh, I believe that would be, that would be the idea, um, but um, seeking to have contact with the dead, right? So um, people will go to a fortune teller and say, you know, I, I want to have some interaction with my deceased mom or dad or brother or sister or great uncle or grandfather, whatever it is, this person who's familiar to me. Um, well, Mike, sometimes demons will, will come through and um, deliver a message that, that sounds to be from the person that you're seeking to conjure up. How, how could they do that, by the way? How, how, Zach, how could a demon pretend to be... Um, your great great grandfather. So they're speaking through, um, uh, you know, the the lady at the crystal ball. Might they have information that that lady shouldn't have, or, or really couldn't have? How is that possible? Well, maybe because they were there. <laughs> you know, they're. They're, they're in the world, right? And, and it's quite possible. I think they, they were able to observe certain things um, and then employ that um, in the future. Right, they're not omniscient. Right, they've been here since the beginning, and so they've been watching and listening and collecting and probably sharing information, and so they have, you know, a lot of information that they can employ to fool people, uh, to deceive people. They are deceitful by nature. Um, now, if you don't understand that, that, that can have a great appeal, you know, particularly if you have, you know, some issue that you've got to work out with this deceased relative. Oh, if I could just have access to them, we could work out, kind of bury the hatch, be, you know, get some things resolved. Well, no, if it's real, you're interacting with a demon. Yeah. 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 Yeah, this is just blatant, blatantly demonic um, stuff for lack of a better word. This offends the Lord. He's, he's angered by this. Uh, this has been going on throughout human history. Uh, why? Well, it reflects a natural inclination of the sin nature fueled by 
uh, demonic uh, involvement and the experiences that people have had, not understanding what these things are, there's, there's an intrigue and, and an attraction to it. Thankfully, we can understand these things. We can know that it's demonic at its root, that it displeases the Lord, it angers him, uh, it invites uh, him to correct us through some difficult trial. Sure enough, we'll see that before we're done here, but we better get going to see that. Uh, verse 7, he, Manasseh, set a graven image of the grove that he had made in the house, of which the Lord said to David and to Solomon his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of the tribes of Israel, will I put my name forever. Yeah, that would be offensive. Neither will I make uh, the feet of Israel move uh, anymore out of the land which I gave their fathers. So no more a tabernacle that will travel through the wilderness, but a temple that would be set at Jerusalem. Uh, only, middle of verse 8, if they will observe to do according to all that which I have commanded them and according to all the law that my servant Moses commanded them. Verse 9, but they hearkened not. They didn't listen to the Lord. Uh, and Manasseh seduced them to do more evil than did the nations whom the Lord destroyed before the children of Israel. That's a, that's a really big charge. That's, uh, Brother Art, that's a major indictment by the Lord against the people. Uh, his own people who knew him and who had his words and, and had all this wonderful history with him were more wicked than the lost Canaanite people uh, before them and, and, and people like them. That's, that's almost hard to believe, but the Bible does say it, so we can believe it. Manasseh seduced them to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord destroyed before uh, the children of Israel. That's a big charge. That's a big deal. This is a leader of, of Judah uh, that, that leads the people into that kind of wickedness. Verse 11, Lord spake by his servants, the prophet, saying, Because Manasseh, king of Judah, have done these abominations, these wicked things, uh, and hath done wickedly above all that the Amorites did, which were set before him, and hath made Judah also to sin with his idols. Therefore, verse 12, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, behold, see this, hear this, watch this. I am bringing such evil upon Jerusalem and Judah that whosoever heareth of it, both his ears uh, shall tingle. Now, evil is used here in the sense of something that would be very difficult, right? The Lord doesn't literally do things that are evil, uh, evil in, in the sense of the opposite of, of holy, but, but that which would be seen as very hard, very difficult uh, from the perspective of, of man. God says, listen, in response to this great wickedness, I am about to pour out great judgment, great chastening, uh, great correction. Of course, this has been uh, a major theme of, uh, throughout the book of um, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and so forth. This is the message uh, of the prophets to the, both the north and the south. You need to get right. You need to lay down this idolatry, all this wickedness. Uh, if not, the Lord is going to correct you in a major way. He loves you too much to let you persist in this terrible wickedness, uh, and so he is going to uh, correct you. Uh, verse 13, the Lord says, I will stretch over Jerusalem the line of Samaria and the plummet of the house uh, of Ahab. There's um, poetic language being used there. Uh, the tools of a carpenter uh, carry, building up something. He says, just as I... Uh, built up or carried out judgment against Samaria, capital of the north, right? 
uh, I'm, I'm getting ready to deploy the same kind of trial in Judah to perform the same uh, correction. He says it another way in the last half of verse 13, and I will wipe Jerusalem uh, as a man wipeth a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. Uh, you're going to turn Judah upside down uh, like you wipe a dish and set it upside down in the dish drain uh, or the strainer. He's getting ready to turn them upside down for their correction, for their own good, and for uh, his glory, we understand. Uh, well, what exactly is he going to do? Verse 14, I will forsake the remnant of my inheritance and deliver them into hand of their enemies, uh, and they shall become a prey uh, and a spoil to all their enemies. We understand that eventually uh, there, there's going to be several rounds of, of captivity, uh, including the sort of the final major uh, captivity in, in 586 BC. Uh, why? Well, I think it's pretty clear. <laughs> it's pretty clear at this point. Verse 15, why? Because they have done that which was evil in my sight, God says and have provoked me to anger. The Lord is angered by sin. Such the day, forgive me, since the day their fathers came forth out of Egypt, even unto this day. Yeah, sure enough, the Lord has been very gracious and very merciful. You remember, Rich, the people started murmuring in the wilderness, and they, they were never quite right. They would, they would get relatively right at times, but there's been an awful lot of sin and murmuring and complaining and, and wrong hearts uh, throughout their history, uh, and now it's kind of got, it's, it's got to a place where where, where God is going to act. It couldn't get much worse, right? Stop and think about it for a second. Uh, how much worse could their sin get than uh, what we see here? Not, not much worse at all, really. Uh, verse 16, moreover, Manasseh shed innocent blood very much. So evidently more than just his own son uh, probably led the people to sacrifice a lot of children to Moloch. He led the people... Uh, into greater and greater sin. Uh, I don't know, but this might allude to him killing or, or having killed those uh, who opposed him and, and tried to correct him. Mr. King, sir, we, this is terribly offensive. Look, look at our scriptures. This is so wrong. Look, look, look at the first commandment. Uh, this, this, this is probably, Mike, that there might have been some of that, and, and maybe this verse alludes to his way of dealing with that, just killing those people who, who opposed him, uh, be murder, and that obviously very wicked. Moreover, Manasseh shed innocent blood very much till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to the other, poetically, uh, besides uh, his sin wherewith he had made Judah's sin in doing that which was evil uh, in the sight of the Lord. Now, um, that's... That's essentially uh, the end of the account of Manasseh in 2 Kings. Look at verse 17. Now the rest of the acts of Manasseh, all that he did, the sin that he sinned, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles uh, of the kings of Judah? Manasseh slept with his father, was buried in the garden of his own house in the garden of Uzzah, uh, and Am Ammon, his son, reigned in his stead. That's, that's all you get here. Well, why does the Lord end the account here, but then give us uh, more of the account of his life in 2 Chronicles? I don't know exactly. Uh, he's God. That's how he chose 
uh, to do it. Uh, I don't know if anyone has thoughts as to why the Lord didn't give the full account here, but uh, he had his time and his place and, and his men uh, by which he gave uh, two parts of the life of Manasseh by two different men and two different points in time. Mike, we have four Gospels for a reason, and we kind of discern that, but no doubt the Lord had a reason uh, for doing this as well. So uh, turn, if you would, to 2 Kings 33. So let's go over. Uh, you can uh, see the parallel account, uh, 2 Kings. So you're going to turn forward just a little bit. Um, forgive me, 2 Chronicles. I'm misspeaking. Uh, 2 Chronicles uh, 33. 2 Chronicles 33. Uh, by the way, what book comes after 2 Chronicles? You can cheat if you need to. Was it Ezra? Ezra. So Ezra is probably the writer of 2 Chronicles also. So God uh, perhaps has used Ezra to pen this down. So if you see 2 Chronicles 33, um, the first, um, first nine verses are basically what we saw uh, in 2 Kings. So you see chapter 33, verse 1, Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 15 five years in Jerusalem, but did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, like unto the abominations of the heathen. I'm not going to read all of this, but you see that, that that's parallel count. So a second witness to the same historical facts that the Lord has given before. But then uh, when you get down to verse 10, uh, verse 10, you get uh, more information than is included in 2 Kings. So, so let's look there. Second uh, Chronicles 33, beginning in verse 10, Lord spake to Manasseh and to his people, but they what? What does it say? They would not. They wouldn't listen. Manasseh wouldn't listen. The people wouldn't listen. Well, you could bet there's going to be some consequences for that. Uh, you know, if they, if they would hear the Lord and, and respond, Mike, through the prophet or prophets, no doubt, the Lord called out to them. And um, he's calling them, no doubt, to repentance. Hey, get right with me. There can be blessings rather than correction. Um, that this is at least implied, Right. Uh, but they would not hearken. They, they would not listen, uh, end of verse 10. And so there's a consequence. Uh, refusing to hear the words of God, it has consequences. You see that principle in action here. Verse 11, wherefore, or therefore, because of their refusal to hearken, to hear, wherefore the Lord brought upon them the captains of the host, host is the army, right, of the king of Assyria, that's the world power, right? It's not quite Babylon yet. Assyria, still the world power at this time, uh, which took Manasseh among the thorns and bound him with fetters uh, and carried him to Babylon. People debate, is this literal Babylon or, or is it being used sort of more metaphorically? Uh, might it actually have been Nineveh? You know what I say to that, Brother Art? 
The Bible says Babylon. <laughs> That's what it says. So I don't need to question that. Why exactly Babylon uh, versus Nineveh or another city of uh, more properly uh, Assyrian at this time? I don't know. Uh, that is what it says. And maybe this foreshadows the coming uh, broader captivity where the people would be carried off to Babylon. I don't know, but that's what the Bible says. Uh, he gets uh, grabbed up and carried away uh, by the Assyrians. Carolyn, you suppose that'd be a trial? I think that would be a trial. He's the king. He's hauled off by the Assyrians, the neighboring enemy world power. Uh, he gets hauled off um, rather um, Harshly, no doubt, bound him with fetters, chains, and carried him uh, to Babylon. So he's been very wicked. Perhaps uh, there hasn't been a more wicked leader up this time. The Lord, the Lord says, get right. Hearken, listen, get right. And he and the people refuse. And so who is the one that caused him to be carried away in verse 11? What are the first five or six words there? Zach, would you read them? Wherefore? Therefore the Lord brought upon us. This is not just random act in history. This is God working sovereignly uh, in history to cause the Assyrians to come and grab up Manasseh and drag him off. This is God's chosen method of judging him, of correcting him uh, at, at this time. And of course... This is something that the Lord used up in the north uh, previously. Now Manasseh has a choice to make, Brother Art. He has a choice. Can, he, he no doubt can see the hand of God at work here. He get angry at God, just keep being wicked, or he could pray and get right with God, right? Sometimes our natural inclination is to just be angry at God and just persist in our sin. But you stop to think about it. How much sense does that make, right? We understand it makes no sense at all. Just be angry at God. God, how could you let this happen? Uh, you know, we're, we're your people. You're not acting like my people, right? That would be, God, God is, Manasseh, I, I reached out to you. Uh, I, I tried to uh, correct you with my words. You refused my words, and so now you will experience the correction of my actions. Uh, this, is, this is what the Lord is saying. You know, we've been looking at this biblical principle of receiving God's words, getting it into your mind, down into your heart, letting that affect your actions. God says, hey, you, you refuse my words, uh, you're going to experience my actions. Maybe that will correct you. We do better to receive his words and let that uh, motivate us to biblical action. Well, the Lord has acted as he saw fit, and finally, uh, Manasseh begins to do right. As the Lord has invested a trial, great difficulty, um, God's purpose has been realized. Verse 12, when he, and when he, Manasseh, was in affliction, this very difficult trial, uh, Gary, uh, could you read the next phrase? He, what did he do uh, in verse 12? Sorry, I, I didn't mean to give you grief. <laughs> when he was in affliction, he says he besought whom? <laughs> he besought the Lord. Yeah, thank you, brother. Thank you. He besought the Lord his God. The Lord is his God, not Moloch, not the sun, the moon, or the stars. The Lord is correcting him, drawing him back to himself. 
uh, certainly implies that he knew the Lord was his God. He always knew that. His heart wasn't right with the Lord. He's straight away from the Lord, still inclined to worship, worships everything under the sun, including the sun. God says, nuh-uh. He says, well, uh, yeah, huh? And, and God says, okay, spank. And he says, okay, God. He besought the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. What does the next verse say? And he did what unto him? He prayed. Yeah, that's what he should have been doing always. Uh, God spanks him and he says, okay, God, Lord, you are my God. You're the God of our fathers. You are God. He humbles himself beneath the Lord and he prayed unto him. Well, well, Rich, what do you suppose the effect of that prayer might be? You would hope so, right? He's been humbled by the trial, um, and he begins to pray. Uh, You would hope to see that the Lord was willing to hear his prayer, and to the extent that his repentance was genuine, heartfelt repentance, um, you, you could reasonably expect to see the Lord lift that trial. God didn't chasten us or correct us just to, you know, for the joy of correcting us. He didn't spank us because he likes that. Uh, he spanks us to correct us, right? So you would expect that God would hear his prayer, see his heart, if there was genuine repentance, to withdraw the correction, to, to withdraw the spank, if you will. And sure enough, that is what we see. Um, in verse 14, we see the Lord heard his prayer. He was, um, sorry, I gotta go, I gotta go back there. Um, forgive me. Humble himself uh, greatly before the God of his fathers and prayed unto him. Uh, and he was entreated of him and heard. This is the Lord. Uh, the Lord heard his supplication, and brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord, he was God. Uh, so, so here's the effect of his prayer. The Lord heard his prayer, number one. The Lord ended his trial, his chastening, number two. Uh, and number three, Manasseh was encouraged uh, in his faith. Uh, the Lord brought him again to Jerusalem in, into his kingdom. So Lord heard his prayer. Uh, Manasseh understood that. He understood that the Lord ended the trial of being carried off by the Assyrians. Uh, and somehow, we don't know exactly how, but somehow allowed him to return back home to Jerusalem. So yeah, sure enough, God heard his prayer. It's implied that God saw his heart. His heart was genuine. There was genuine repentance. Uh, and so the Lord somehow ended, ended his trial, probably moved uh, in the heart of his Assyrian captors to uh, cause them to release him. The same way the Lord had caused them to come take him, the Lord worked sovereignly in their hearts to cause them to release him, uh, no doubt. And the Bible says, then Manasseh knew that the Lord was his God. Well, well how did he know that? Well, he discerned this. Um, he, uh, he's worshiping false gods. He received the message from the Lord, which he refused. Then he experienced the consequence of refusing that uh, verbal correction from the Lord. So he experiences this physical correction from the Lord. He humbles himself. He prays to the Lord. uh, And only then is he sent back home. So 
Mike, you know, a reasonable man would make reasonable conclusions. That was the Lord correcting me and lifting his hand of correction when I finally got right with him. He knew that the Lord was his God. His faith was encouraged um, by that process. Zach, what is it that initiated all of that? God hearing, lifting the trial, allowing him to go back home, and Manasseh's faith being encouraged. What, what initiated that? What, what did he do? What did Manasseh do that, that resulted in those things being accomplished? He prayed. Uh, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man does what? Faileth much. You got a reference for that? Uh, James, James 5.16, second half of, of James 5.16, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. It accomplishes a lot. Here's a biblical illustration of that great truth. Uh, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Uh, when you know that God is correcting you, uh, you, you can run as this man did or, or just stay dug in as this man did initially, uh, inviting correction. Okay, I know it's God's correction. Uh, you have a choice. You, you can stay dug, in, stay dug in or you get down on your knees and, and, and pray and repent and ask God's forgiveness uh, and get right with him. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Stay, stay here in, in Second Chronicles. Um, so the Lord says, great, get back home. And he says, I'm there. Uh, I know your Lord. His faith is encouraged. Uh, he gets back home. Now he's got to decide what's he going to do when he gets back home. What had he been doing before this, Zach? Nothing good, right? So, you know, the, the temptation would be, well, okay, the trial's over. Carolyn, everything's good now. We just go back to the way things were, right? We just, you know, the idols are still there. We just fall back into our old habits and everything will be fine. Well, that wouldn't make any sense because that invited uh, the Assyrians to come and carry him away. He knows God did that. So that wouldn't make any sense. So, you know, a reasonable man of God would say, hey, get back home. And I got to make some changes. If there's been genuine repentance, there's going to be genuine change, right? When, when Paul got saved, he was, he was heading to uh, arrest, gather up, perhaps kill Christians. He got saved on the road with, by grace through faith with some repentance mixed in. He came off that road and went a different course. So if Manasseh's been genuinely humbled and genuinely repentant, and, and evidently he was because God lifted the trial. Uh, that's going to be accompanied by an outward change in course, a, a change of direction that would be as, as obvious as, as Paul's change of direction. There ought, to be, there ought to be visible change in the life of a saved person uh, or, or a saved person who's been humbled and, and who has repented of, of some sin. So he gets back and he... Uh, he, he acts differently. He, he, first of all, he, he builds up the defenses of Jerusalem. He, he does some physical restoration there. See it quickly, verse 14. Now after this, he built a wall without, uh, or outside the city of David on the west side of, of Gihon in the valley, even to the entering it, the fish gate, uh, encompassed about Ophel, a ridge along the east side of Jerusalem. Uh, and raised it up very high, uh, a very great height, put captains of war in all the fenced cities um, outside of Jerusalem uh, of Judah. So 
He gets back and he, he, there's some physical things that he needs to do to protect people from uh, the Assyrians, but that's not all. Uh, he, he restores their defenses, but he also restores proper worship. And so here's, here's where the real, true repentance gets legs and, and becomes visible. Verse 15, he took away the strange gods, he got rid of them. Uh, and the idol out of the house of the Lord. He got it out of there. Uh, and all the altars that he had built in the mount of the house of the Lord and in Jerusalem and cast them out of the city. Got them out of there. Uh, what he had been doing, he didn't go back to it. He understood. He's been corrected. And so he gets rid of the stuff. Verse 16, he repaired the altar of the Lord uh, and sacrificed thereon peace offerings and thank offerings. So puts off the false worship, but doesn't stop there. He puts on right worship. He gets rid of the idols. He restores the altar and, and begins the kind of worship that God has prescribed. You know, today we don't have statues that we're worshiping possibly, but there might be idols in our hearts. And, and we might have allowed certain things in our hearts to take the place of the Lord. Well, you got to deal with those things. As, as, as God convicts, what are you going to do? You're going to repent of that. Uh, you're going to stop looking to those things, and you're going to start looking to the Lord. Manasseh got rid of the false idols, and he, started, he got rid of them and, and got right with God. Stop worshiping the false things. Start worshiping the one true thing, the one true uh, person. Um, there's a principle there that we can apply today. If there's things in our hearts that have become idols, Lord, help us to put them off to dethrone them, to put you back on the throne of our heart and to focus our attention and our worship back on you again. You know, it could be a long list of things that we make idols of in our hearts. Anything that takes the place of the Lord. Lord, help me, convict me, search my heart, show me. If there's anything that's taking the place of you, uh, help me to confess that, to repent of it in your strength, to put it out uh, and to refocus my eyes upon you uh, and you alone. That's the principle that we see here. Uh, and that's the principle that we can take and, and apply uh, to our own lives. Uh, Manasseh is a leader. Uh, he had previously led the people into very wicked worship. Well, if he's repentant, he got to lead them a different direction now, Brother Mike. So the second part of verse 16, the Bible says he commanded Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. Yeah, stop worshiping Moloch. For goodness sake, stop, worship, stop sacrificing your children to him. He commands the people now to serve the Lord God of Israel. Now, <laughs> verse 17, not a great place to end because... Uh, it's, it's not good, but see it. Nevertheless, verse 17, the people did sacrifice still in the high places, uh, yet unto the Lord their God only. Oh, is that bad or is that good? Is that, is that bad or is that good? Was it? Yet unto the Lord their God only. Well, that, pardon? That's Jehovah. Uh, you, you might argue, well, maybe it's not quite right. Maybe they're not quite back to where they should be. But it, it looks like they, they've at least, they, they've at least 
um, begun to be corrected, right? I, I think the verse implies that their, uh, their worship is not exactly biblical because he commands one thing. Verse 17 says, nevertheless. So the grammar implies that they didn't quite get to where they were supposed to be. Nevertheless, people did sacrifice to all the high places, yet unto the Lord their God only. Uh, they've been at least partially corrected, at, at least partially corrected. Um, Zach, is that what God's interested in? Kind of a halfway repentance, a halfway correction? It's not, is it? Um, repentance is repentance. It involves a change of mind that produces a change of direction. If it's not that, it's not biblical repentance. Uh, you could say, oh, yeah, I realize that what I've been doing is wrong. If that's where you stop, that's, that's not true repentance. Or realize what I've been doing is really wrong. Let me get half right. I at least won't be as wrong as I was. Well, Zach, if I'm, if I'm half obedient to the Lord, I'm half what? Disobedient. Right? So... You have to stand guard against a tendency to play mind games with yourself like that. At least I'm not doing what I used to do. Well, yeah, but if we're not being obedient, fully obedient to the Lord, we're not being obedient. <laughs> and so uh, we stand guard um, against that uh, tendency. Um, thankfully, Mike, we can see that their leader, he got right. He put off the false worship from the place of, of right worship and, and took up right worship in the right place. Um, and did what he could to encourage the people to do the same. Have you noticed that you can't force people to do what you want them to do? <laughs> you can't. Uh, but you can teach them what is right, and, and you can model what is right. And, you know, a lot of people will be um, affected by right teaching paired with uh, a right example. Uh, if you will live what you preach, there's a lot of power in that. But Mike, where we don't live what we preach, Gary, that makes us that makes us hypocrites, and there's not much power in that kind of a testimony. Lord, help us to be right with you, to put off sin as you convict, uh, and to put on obedience in its place, and to be able and willing to encourage others with your words and with our testimony of obedience to your words. Um, we're not going to have a perfect testimony. Let me ask you this, then we'll, we'll sing and we'll pray. Uh, does anyone here have a testimony of absolute perfect obedience to the Lord? Anybody? Brother Art, you don't have that? <laughs> okay, it would be good if we did. Wouldn't that be awesome? Uh, I understand that God the Father sees us that way because of the blood of his son, but the reality is different than that, right? People see the reality. Um, so I don't have a, a, a testimony of sinless perfection. I don't have that. None of us do. But what about this? Um, what about if your testimony is, hey, you know what? I am not perfect. I know that. All of sin and mature the glory of God. But I have accepted Christ as my Savior, and so I know that my sin is forgiven. And here's, here's something else that's part of my testimony. When I mess up, when I sin, when I choose to sin, and the Lord convicts me, um, my heart is to get right. 
I, I have a testimony of God convicting me, which, by the way, is evidence of my salvation. And while I may drag my feet sometimes, <laughs> eventually um, the Lord gets hold of my heart and I, I repent, I confess, I repent, I put off the disobedience and I put on obedience, not in my strength, but in the strength, the grace of the Spirit of God as I yield to him. And you know, that's my testimony. I'm a sinner who's been saved by grace and I'm still a sinner saved by grace, who's able and willing to get right with God when I mess up and he convicts. Brother Art, that's, that's a good testimony. Uh, that's, that's the kind of testimony that we can have, right? And that's a, that's a good testimony. I don't wanna, I'm not trying to run around having people look at me, look how perfect he is. No, I'm not perfect. Uh, I'm a sinner saved by grace. Uh, look at me and know that I do wrong, but when I do, my God convicts me. He, he begins to poke at me. Uh, I'm able to confess and repent in his strength and get right with him to put off the sin, put on obedience. And you know what? That pleases my God, and he makes that possible. We, we can have that testimony. Like, that's the best testimony we can have this side of heaven. Uh, that would be a good testimony to have. Um, in the end here, Manasseh has a testimony like this. He couldn't cause everyone to get perfectly right. He did confess, and he did encourage the people to do right. If, if they only got half right initially, that's not his fault. Not at this point, at least. Um, what we can do is what we can do. Uh, help us keep that in mind, Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you uh, for this passage. There's much here. Lord, I pray tonight, first of all, that, again, this is something we've prayed about more than once recently, if there's idols in our hearts, Lord, if there's anything that we're looking to for comfort other than you, um, we make an idol of comfort. <laughs> Lord, we make an idol of control. Lord, we make idols of others and allow their influence to take the place of your influence. Lord, we make an idol of others sometimes by allowing their pleasure to take the place of your pleasure. Lord, I understand we're not called to live to please others. We're called to live to please you. Father, there's all kinds of things that we can make idols in our hearts today. Lord, if there's something that still needs to be dealt with tonight, I pray you show us that. If there's anything in our hearts, in our lives that is taking the place of you. Lord, please show us that. Give us hearts even now to agree with you, to confess that, to yield to you, to find strength in the Holy Spirit, to put that off and to put on a more perfect worship of you. Lord, Manasseh had to crowd out, to put out those false things so that he could take up a right worship of you. Well, I know that um, from time to time, we need to do exactly the same thing. So, Lord, show us that tonight. If there's anything that we need to deal with, confess tonight, put off, that we might worship you more perfectly. I pray you show us that. Give us hearts to do that even now.
Father, I thank you that we can do that. Lord, we, as we do that, we, we can know from your word that you are pleased. That's great privilege. Father, thank you tonight that that's possible because of Christ our Savior. Lord, I thank you. Lord, as we sing now, I pray you give us hearts to sing of you and to you for your honor and for your glory. Lord, I pray also we be an encouragement to each other as we sing together. Father, love you. I thank you. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Zach, you come. All right, would you stand with me as we turn to 392? Let's sing it out as we sing, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus, number 392. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know the saith the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I prove him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Oh, how sweet to trust in Jesus, just to trust his cleansing blood, just a simple plate to plunge me neath the healing cleansing blood. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I proved him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. This is sweet to trust in Jesus, just from sin itself to cease. Just from Jesus, simply taking life and rest and joy and peace. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I prove him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. And the last, yes, I'm glad I learned to trust him, precious the Savior, friend, I know that he is with me, will be with me to the end. Jesus, Jesus, how I stand, how I proved him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Amen. You may be seated. Zach running back and forth tonight, wearing uh, two hats tonight. I'll be right back. 